0: In the immortal words of Gordon Gekko, greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Or is it? Welcome to The Swing Vote, the show where we discuss the facts and you draw the conclusions. By now, I think we have all heard about the controversy surrounding GameStop and r slash bets. In short, around two weeks ago, Reddit user u slash deep effing value brought to the attention of a group of online retail investors that GameStop stock was being shorted to an extreme degree by institutional investors, up to 120% of the total valuation of the company. Now, if that sounded like a jumble of various lingo, That's because it is. The financial industry, out of both necessity and a desire to make it seem as though finance is some mystical dark art that can only be practiced by the Wizards of Wall Street, has created a vast quantity of incomprehensible terms to define their daily operations. So before we go into our discussion today, let's break down the major players and terms. GameStop is a troubled brick-and-mortar video game vendor that has struggled to stay afloat amidst fierce competition from online stores and a death grip COVID-19 has had on retail sales. It is precisely this vulnerability that led major Wall Street players to short the stock. To short a stock means essentially to bet against it. A buyer loans some amount of a stock or bond, selling it immediately, predicting that its price will drop soon so they can buy the same amount of stock later on On the cheap and repay the loan pocketing a tidy profit this is considered to be somewhat more risky than purchasing a stock as the losses can theoretically be infinite which is what made it attractive to hedge funds now a hedge fund is simply an aggregate of various investors pooling their money under one management organization much like a mutual fund the critical difference however is that hedge funds are allowed by contract to take far greater risks in the hope of greater reward these hedge funds, however, went overboard, which is where R slash Wall Street Bets comes in. R Wall Street Bets began as a forum for stock advice, too specific to be allowed on the major forums. As it grew more and more popular, however, the forum became what can only be called the greatest gathering of bull worshippers outside of Hindu temples. Investors frequently dumped 90-95% of their total assets into one trade, adopting incredibly risky strategies to try and make massive returns. This forum is where U slash Deep effing value first drop his bombshell report. In it, he detailed how GameStop was overly shorted and how the community stook to make billions if they could simply drive up the price of the stock. Remember that the hedge funds loaned the stocks they held, hoping to buy them for cheap later on. If the stock price suddenly rises, the hedge fund panics and has to buy stock in fear that if they don't do so immediately, they would eventually have to buy them at an even higher price or risk defaulting. Hundreds of thousands of investors soon dumped massive amounts of cash into GameStop stock, many using an app called Robinhood to do so. Robinhood is a retail trading app that, like its name suggests, claims to give everybody a share of the wealth by making trades commission free. Usually you have to pay a brokerage at least ten to fifteen dollars on the smallest trades to do the same. A week ago, in the heat of GameStop's meteoric rise, Robinhood suddenly banned users from buying the stock. Now, Why would a brokerage ban its clients from buying stock? Because if Robinhood sounds too good to be true, that's because it is. Despite being a brokerage, the company doesn't execute its own orders, instead handing them off to a variety of companies, of which the largest is Citadel Securities. Citadel Securities is a Wall Street titan. In total trading volume, it is almost as large as the NASDAQ itself. Coincidentally, it also manages the 10th largest hedge fund in the world, with over $30 billion in assets. Not only has it pocketed nearly $700 million in the last three quarters by acting as a middleman on retail trades, it has also faced scrutiny in the past for front-running, the illegal practice where the company executes its own orders before its clients, buying them first before allowing client orders to go through, thus raising the value. Citadel then sells and pockets the difference. It is also important to note that hedge funds themselves have taken advantage of the opportunity and invested in GameStop right along Wall Street bets, with one New York hedge fund earning over $700 million from the trade. That is a short summary of the events and major forces thus far. GameStop, at the time of this recording, is trading at $69, down from its peak of $490 per share. R Wall Street bats continues to rally, but it is safe to say the fight is over for now. The phenomenon itself was nothing special. This type of maneuver called a short squeeze has been executed frequently before and is by no means illegal. Though some hedge funds, such as Melvin Capital, did collapse, most others walked away with a windfall. For all the panic and attention and talk of revolution, little has changed. Today, I want to talk about the event less as a financial phenomenon and more as a social one. While the primary motivation for our Wall Street bats was financial, many also held on even as prices fell drastically out of a sense of justice and vengeance. At times, this altar of capitalism sounded almost like an Occupy Wall Street protest. So the big question, what led to the GameStop short squeeze and what does it say about the state of the American financial system?
1: You know, I'd like to bring I'd like to bring sort of a, a little bit of a personal anecdote to the situation. Um, I was reading a Wall Street Journal, not a Wall Street Journal, a Washington Post article rather um, on essentially as a summary of the events. And essentially they described this sort of Wall Street's Bets group as an almost nihilistic group that was. So that was basically, uh, raised game stocks, sort of stock price out of spite, just because they hated everything that was represented by sort of wall street so much, they wanted to burn everything to the ground and that they were not rational actors. And I think that this kind of, it's a little out of touch. I mean, I think that there's a certain level where, uh, there was a there's a lot of money to be made especially early on doing what these people were doing so i wouldn't necessarily agree with it but i think that it does have an interesting point which is that a lot of what and you know i think jason mentioned this in his introduction um a lot of people really want to see the hedge funds bleed right they really take a lot of pleasure in seeing these kind of above it all people who you know the government was pretty ready to bail them out and you know back in 08 and et cetera et cetera um you know we want to see them hurt And it's interesting to see that because i think it addresses one of the core situ one of the core situations which is that fundamentally um this kind of attack is inevitable as long as the rampant inequality we have in our society remains in essence as long as injustice is so common so obvious and so brutal people will lash out and that may be in an irrational rally of a failing game store uh you know it doesn't matter What this really represents more than anything else is essentially some opportunists, yes, but an overriding sense of essentially they drew some blood early on from the hedge funds and really they, you know, they wanted more. And I think what that tells us here is that what we are seeing here is fundamentally a shift in an understanding of sort of the situation uh, from a very specific angle, which is that we're seeing at least some people recognize that The stock market is not some kind of magic thing that only very smart people can understand. That is, in fact, easy to manipulate. This is not, of course, to say that this is going to lead to any sort of revolution or that the stock market will cease to be a skive of of scum, villainy, and elitism. But rather to say that um, the demystification of financial institutions like Wall Street is beginning to take effect because people don't trust Wall Street. In fact, I think this is, we can draw a direct line from when Wall Street ceased to sort of be tied at all to the American economy, it uh, ceased to be representative of what the average American was feeling, the average American was seeing, um, and we can draw a direct line from that to then the average American sort of taking Wall Street to task through these means. And I think that if you connect this, I think what, what you in the end get is that this is I would argue, ineffective. But nonetheless, it is a manifestation of frustration with sort of a Wall Street elite who have never had to suffer the consequences uh, and who continue to throw part lavish parties and insist that the economy is great. The Dow's at an all time high, while ordinary working Americans have instead been basically left behind, have been left to starve. And again, the government has been very complicit in this with their bailouts of Wall Street never extending to the general populace. And that resentment boiling over to manifestations like this. So I would say that while this is not a particularly impressive display of force, nor would I say it is a particular, it's, it will set a, an, a precedent for effective direct action henceforth, but rather that we're going to see more actions
0: like this because people hate Wall Street that much. Yeah, I think Harry brings up a good point in that our Wall Street bets beyond profit and the opportunists it was only able to mobilize such a large popular movement because it had this sort of crusading spirit. It was going to, you know, David was going to beat Goliath. This sort of battle of titanic proportions to be waged against Wall Street using their own money. And I think people relished that chance. And. You know, we've 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 seen you know anger before. We saw it in the '80s we, with the neoliberal era. We saw it in the '30s with the Great Depression. But I think what we're seeing right now is not some financial aberration or some great you know socialist uprising, but rather just massive popular discontent and the realization that. The stock market is functionally meaningless. That as a medium for exchange of goods and as a, a contribution to American society and the and stable basis of the economy, it has given way to rampant speculation due to a lack of regulation, due to a lack whatever. People are angry. And this time they may take it out through, you know, buying GameStop stock but the next time, it may be something substantially different. But I think that that kind
1: of raises an interesting question, which is sort of what we have seen. If we if we may trace this kind of Wall Street bets back to sort of Trumpism and the rise of populism in general, I think what it does tell us more than anything else is that what we are seeing is a collapse of faith within, in the system. And what's interesting about this is actually the contrast between the last massive sort of recession or depression the last greatest economic crisis being the great depression in the aftermath of the great depression after years of hoover's it's not austerity technically but it wasn't the government interventionism on the scale that was necessary Um, fdr's new deal went a long way to restoring faith in the system then world war ii then an era of unprecedented economic uh, progress and success and prosperity and what you could see here is that Faith in the system was fundamentally shaken, but it was restored stronger than ever, and even with the ups and downs associated with the American economy throughout the Cold War and even after, generally speaking, most people believed in the system. They believed at the end of the day it was the best. It was good enough, and that has fundamentally changed. There is an interesting statistic put out by uh, Stephanie Kelton in her book uh, The People's Economy in which she basically says that The Obama administration's lackluster uh, financial stimulus in response to the Great Recession probably cost every American about $70,000, or 7% of the U.S. GDP from 2010 to 2018. What that tells us is that, put simply, the U.S., the this the recovery right when the next major when so it happened with the great depression and the government stepped in and did what was necessary and economic growth came back and faith was restored but what we're seeing here is essentially what what it would have looked like if hoover won that second term almost it's not that the government never intervened it's not that things never got a little bit better it's that people didn't believe in the system anymore it ceased to become the only option because quote-unquote the only option was not acceptable because the failure of the government the failure of the private sector whoever you want to place the blame on the failure of the system the powers that be to address the needs of ordinary working people became too obvious to ignore and that manifested itself in support for bernie sanders that manifested itself in support for donald trump and yes that manifested itself in support for gamestop on the stock market because fundamentally I think we're going through an interesting era in American history because this is one of the first times when the American economic system is being so thoroughly challenged and there is no FDR who is coming in to save it. There is no stunningly effective politician who will implement unprecedented progressive policy to save, you know, sort of the capitalist American system from itself. Now we are in a situation where we're we're in a situation where the powers that be refuse to see that there is a problem. And this is leading to an increasingly divided America between essentially the people who live in the real world and the people who are so wealthy, they don't have to. And the issue has become that while that, you know, at the end of the day, the business owners were convinced by FDR to give in. uh, Do you think Joe Biden's going to do that? No. So without the sort of policies that will restore faith in the system, uh, they didn't come with Obama. They didn't come with Trump and they won't come with Biden we're looking at a situation where faith in the system may be continue may continue to decline to the point where more radical politics becomes more and more sort of acceptable just because people will cease to believe in moderation when moderate politics has been the name of the game for decades and things have been getting worse. Uh, Leon,
0: any thoughts?
2: Mm, I absolutely have to concur is now of course neoliberal has always been a sort of dirty word and no one has liked the Wall Street establishment but the middle of the political spectrum the center has always gotten away with talk about unity and all that but that's ringing increasingly hollow to many Americans and Americans don't want the center anymore because what they're recognizing is that there's something or they what they believe is that there's something fundamentally broken that and they want to they are willing to repudiate the politics of moderation, the politics of centrism, that's dominated American political discourse for pretty much its entire life.
0: GameStop, I would say, is only the perhaps the most whimsical expression of this phenomenon. It's it's a tip of an iceberg. And I think it's an iceberg the U.S. is sailing straight into. Which is that nothing is being done. Because at the end of the day, this GameStop, you know, short squeeze, rebellion, bunch of idiots, you know, very smart people, whatever you want to call it, it's, it did nothing. The hedge, the hedge funds continued as before. People lost money, people made money. But this is only the trial run. I'm not one to make sweeping predictions. But this sort of intense popular anger at wall street at uh, that we saw in occupy wall street that we saw in the aftermath of 2008 when we saw people you know lose their homes their entire futures their businesses and sink into as i read in one account on our wall street bets alcoholism drug abuse the failure of the american political system to provide for the people of the nation has Deeply um, led to a loss of trust in institutions and in the state itself. And if nothing is done to rectify this, you know, things could go south fast. And I think a lot of um, most politicians are taking this, and analysts are taking this from a financial angle. You know, it's how do we sort of correct this temporary aberration? How do we prevent these, you know, those, these Wall Street bets idiots from getting in ever again? While I guess that is a pragmatic solution. They're not solving the problem. The problem is that people are angry. They're hurt, they're lost. Whether they turn to, you know, Bernie Sanders, or they turn to Trump, people are disillusioned. I think it's time that we truly thought about how to turn this around. Because we don't have FDR in office, we have Joe Biden, who is arguably even less capable than Hoover was. Hoover at least was a decent administrator who drummed up support for the first world war and got a lot of war supplies to the front joe biden is despite his recent rather um, surprising streak of executive orders he's a centrist he ran on a ticket of cooperation and i don't think he's either i don't think he's stupid but he's not manipulative enough and he's not commanding enough of a presence to build legitimate momentum for true wide-scale reform. So what can we do?
1: I think that this is where we get into a situation where fundamentally we, we, we enter, we are entering a political situation in which, yeah, um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, it should be emphasized, was not a radical politician, uh, heading into his time as sort of a new dealer. He was notably a very moderate, um, not even very particular, particularly working class sort of safe well-bred Anglo-Saxon alternative to the sort of Catholic mm, sort of candidates for New York. I mean, the whole idea was that, sure, he was a Democrat, so he ran and secured support from sort of New York City's Catholics, but that critically, as sort of a well-bred Anglo-Saxon, he wouldn't be too scary. So let's be clear here. It's not... But what did that show? Well, it showed that FDR, with his extremely keen political instincts, even though he was a moderate, recognized the necessity for extreme political change. But as we see moderates like Joe Manchin continue to dishonestly trumpet ideas of bipartisanship as Americans die on the street, I think what that tells us more than anything else is that the era of uh, the era in, of moderates as sort of people who can be trusted to affect the serious change that Americans need is over they won't adapt. And if they won't adapt, then Americans will simply throw them out. I think that is kind of the point is that there are a lot of things that should be done, could be done, etc., etc. But the first thing we must recognize is that there is no savior coming from the Democratic Party. There's no savior coming from the Republicans. The success of the American people will come not because of or with the aid of these parties, but rather despite it. And with that in mind, the only thing we can do now is look to increase political power, not necessarily in a partisan way, but in a way that encourages voting as a whole. So this is why, for example, abolishing the Electoral College, um, mandatory not, not necessarily mandatory voting, but at least automatic voter registration, making uh standardizing mail-in ballots, making election day, national holiday, uh, attacking gerrymandering. These are all ideas and banning voter ID laws and such. These are all policies that encourage more people to vote, which is important. But we also must recognize that the most important lever through which real change will be affected is the economic lever, because at the end of the day, um, Democrats are very good at running campaigns in which they promise things, but just as of the $2,000 checks, they don't necessarily deliver on them. So the goal must be a situation in which politicians, Democrat, Republican, whoever are essentially held to account are made honest by a real threat. So the only way the serious effective change we want to see happen is seen to happen is in as a situation in which the people of America can hold their politicians accountable after they're elected to say, no, no, you promised $2,000 and you're going to give us $2,000 unless you want a serious consequence. And that's obviously easier said than done. But the truth is that that has always been the case. It's very easy to lay out an action plan for serious progress and how, if we just form enough unions then eventually the unions will be able to take the American government to task. And obviously that's not necessarily the most realistic thing, but the truth is that we just kind of have to do everything we can. We have to push parties to do the right thing. We have to organize labor. We have to just ensure that our society is better equipped and it won't fix every problem instantly. But working towards a better tomorrow and has to take a multi-pronged approach that does seek to use political means to get important progressive legislation passed to address the needs of the people. It also sees the, uh, it would also require the development of sort of more direct action like unions, um, to essentially hold the government to account to get that progressive legislation passed, and of course it does require an active populace, not just in unions but also in voting, a populace that is incentivized to vote and a populace that critically believes that change can be effected. Because this is perhaps the most understated element of it all. The truth is that our current system does not remain in place because it convinces people that it's good, or even because it convinces people that socialism is particularly evil. It is because quite literally for the majority of the American populace, it is easier to imagine the end of the world than the end of capitalism. And this kind of capitalist realism in which everything in the world must be seen through a capitalist lens in which it is unimaginable to remove the system, that is the great enemy of any progressive movement. The people of America have to fundamentally believe that there is a better tomorrow to work towards before any real work to, to, uh, towards a better tomorrow can be made. And that is what I think we have to emphasize is that the, if there's one good thing that comes out of this, it should be the demystification of a capitalist institution in Wall Street. It should be the recognition that capitalism is a system. It exists. Humanities existed before capitalism and it can exist beyond it. And that with that understanding, we should seek to essentially... Pull back the curtain on other institutions and remind people that there is no infallible, invisible hand of the market, but rather just people pulling levers, acting in self-interest and hurting ordinary Americans.
2: Uh, to add on what Harry, to what Harry G. said about the sort of timidity, the unwillingness to see beyond our current system is also deeply reflected in the way we, we treat the Constitution sometimes as if it was divinely inspired is something we do in the U.S., which... I find it a little bit strange, as if it were the most perfect system ever conceived, and our system is perfect and there are no flaws in it, we can't ever change any part of it except when we deal with amendments. And to wit, I think that there is a change there too. I think that people are rallying less around the notion the Constitution is a perfect instrument. I think there is more appetite, luckily, there is more appetite for radical change. Especially because what the Constitution has become is now something so amorphous to people, right? It's it's now a standard insult for the right to sh- anything the left does, shout unconstitutional. The the left some, usually does the same thing too, and the, so the Constitution is not a rallying point now. It's reduced to a, a base and unconstitutional is just a run of the mill insult now, and in that way, the Constitution too is also demystified. It's. Uh, there is a greater recognition of the failings of our political system and a growing recognition of the need for radical change even beyond what our constitution prescribes.
1: Yeah, It's, it's actually interesting that you mentioned that because I think it's funny to see how e- a critical step towards sort of moving beyond, moving to real genuine progress is almost by using the tools at the disposal, uh, at our disposal now. Um A good example would be wall street bets using the stock market. That is a very sort of capitalist, realist idea. The idea of using the capitalist system to bring justice, right? It's this very, it's an idea that can only exist when you assume that the system is unmovable yet by using the system, the flaws, the sort of contradictions within it are revealed. So even some so the idea that you can't affect serious change within it and another example that is you brought up would be the constitution the idea of using the constitution as a cudgel against real against you know legislation you don't agree with has especially been it's been heavily leveraged especially by the right with its originalist perspectives to essentially undermine real progress made in the judicial branch but what it has done is yes it has been an extremely effective cudgel in the short term but there is a real there's a real there's a growing sentiment among a lot of people where it's like okay well great, you're interpreting the Constitution the way Thomas Jefferson intended. But I can't, I can't put Thomas Jefferson's interpretation of the of the Constitution on my table to feed my kids. And with that in mind, um, oftentimes, you see a situation in which even within sort of the scope of our current system, it is so contradictory, it is so uh, Id- idiosyncratic, that we can see a situation in which it is demystified, in which it is sort of people become disillusioned with our system when our system is functioning as planned. And let's be clear about this. Our system is functioning like it should, according to the people who run it, you know, the system was designed for the concentration and accumulation of wealth, and it's doing that. So with that in mind, it's, it becomes more an increasingly undeniable fact that the system is, this is not a bug, this is a feature of our current system. And with that in mind, It is important to recognize that, as you said, Harry, with the Constitution, as well as with the Wall Street bets uh, sort of use of the stock market, even action within our system can still help us move beyond the system just because it reminds us that there is no magic sort of Formula. There's no equation you can that you can plug ca- the co- the capitalist constant into to and to make it work. And that's the only and only the capitalist constant makes it work. That it is in fact an extremely arbitrary system, divined by people who don't really care about what happens to the majority of people and are instead seeking profit. And with that in mind, we must recognize that. There is a there is a basis upon which we can attack the current system and the perception that there is only one possible system, and that does not necessarily extend to just saying over and over again you don't have to you know live in a capitalist country. It can also be in real action within that capitalist system, such as uh, messing around with Wall Street, such as sort of demystifying the Constitution as this divinely inspired uh, construct that can never be questioned.
0: I think, for the second time in this show's history, we have come to a unanimous conclusion. What the GameStop phenomenon suggests is not that retail investors are idiots and we should just leave it all to the professionals, nor is it that, necessarily, that um, retail investing and this sort of volatile market behavior should be encouraged as some sort of anti-capitalist crusade. We have seen that, thus far, the entire phenomena has been a net zero game for both sides. However, what's more important about this is not the result, but the motivations which led to this. It's the anger, the seething anger, these millions of investors felt, and the public cheering them on because they feel that they've been betrayed by the system. They feel lost. And whether they turn to Trump or Bernie or whatever, you know, fancy suits them at the moment. The fundamental truth is that the American people overwhelmingly are filled with discontent. They're disillusioned. They don't trust the system. And the only reason the system remains is that revolution is and always will be and always has been incredibly difficult. Our current system is not the best of both worlds, it's not some paradise, obviously, and perhaps it isn't even the least worst solution. It's a system that people feel they are too weak to confront, that they don't have the power, the tools, the the driving force, the, a leader or some kind of organization. That will band them together. Our Wall Street bets, you know, despite its frapper culture, despite its rather unsound economic decisions, it provided that sense of power. It is, (laughs) and I can't believe I'm saying this, an exercise in democracy, in direct democracy, through the purse. And what it suggests is that if we do not reform our system, if we... Do not change it. If we not do something, then the next insurrection isn't going to come with GameStop stock. It isn't going to stop with a couple hedge funds going bankrupt and getting bailed out. It's going to end in something much, much worse. And unfortunately, this time, the people may be justified. Because in 2008, the American government left the American people behind. Not because Obama got elected, necessarily. Not because he was the first black president, as some people on the right seem to claim. But because the American political system, as it always does, fell victim to the promise of compromise. That compromise is essential. That nothing can't be compromised on. And that's simply not true. In 1933, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, despite being a, basically a centrist, an aristocratic, blue-blooded, incredibly wealthy heir, a scion. He launched the greatest series of economic reforms in American history that made America the most prosperous nation in the world, from then all the way to now, because he did something. He did the New Deal. He plugged dams, he funded arts projects, he funded industry, he funded massive public works, he built schools, he provided employment assurance. These myriad of things that he did, they worked because he did them. The best, the worst course of action right now is no course of action at all. Because GameStop is only the tip of the iceberg. And America is sailing right into it.
2: Biden
1: bad. I don't like him. He's old and kind of sleepy. And um, the, the whole backtracking on $2,000 checks this quickly is kind of a bad look. Um, and I think that it's, it's interesting to see how often really um, the pivot is made that in essence, we, we should recognize one thing, which is that the failures of both parties are not well-meaning failures. They know what the American people want. They know what they are elected to do. There's a reason why Raphael Warnock, John Ossoff, and Joe Biden, all and Kamala Harris, for that matter, and every prominent Democrat running in Georgia said, vote Democrat, you'll get your $2,000 stimulus check. They knew that's what people wanted. And within a month, they were already cutting into that. So it should be noted. And I think that that is one, it's a little bit of a pessimistic note, but I think it's one that we have to recognize. The failures of the Democrats or the Republicans to affect real positive change isn't just because the other guy's obstructing them. It's also because they they know what they need to do and they don't do it, oftentimes because their donors don't want them to, because they don't want to rock the boat of the current system. Regardless of the reason, though, we should remember that it's not that the American people aren't heard. It's that... The powers that be don't want to listen.
0: That concludes our podcast. As always, thank you uh, for listening. You can find all episodes of our podcast wherever you may listen to a podcast. Apple, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And as always, stay in, stay healthy, stay safe.